0: Well, we're now in our third week in Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21. So if you would go ahead and open your Bible there. Matthew 6:19. We looked at the command in the first week. It says there do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now last week as we kind of looked at this the second time, we looked at the doctrine of heaven. And today we want to look at this whole idea of rewards. Treasures in heaven is really dealing with this whole concept of rewards. Treasures in heaven are rewards. And we've already seen in Matthew a few references to rewards in heaven. And if you just kind of turn back in your Bible to Matthew 5 and verse 10, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he continues and expands on that and says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets were persecuted and they were rewarded, and in the same way, Jesus' disciples will be rewarded. Now Jesus puts his disciples on the same level as the Old Testament prophets, which is amazing in itself, but Our focus here is on rewards. And if we're persecuted for righteousness sake, or if we're persecuted on Jesus' account, Jesus says our reward will be great in heaven, so much so that we should even rejoice in the midst of the persecution. We've seen the promise of reward in Matthew 6 and verse 4 and 6 and 18, forgiving and praying and fasting. Matthew has a lot to say about rewards in this gospel, and we'll look at some of it today. Jesus often speaks about rewards. But we, on the other hand, we tend to be a little bit shy about rewards. And sometimes we're maybe even hesitant about doing something because of the promise of reward. We think something like, shouldn't we just honor God? Shouldn't we just do what we do to glorify him shouldn't we just do it because it's right and not even worry about rewards is it sinful to do something for a reward those are kind of questions that we want to look at today and my goal for this morning is really just to present what scripture teaches on the on the topic and really only at that only a fraction of what scripture teaches how does god want us to think about reward what does God teach us in his word about rewards for believers? And if we can kind of do that, if I can manage to do that, I think it will be quite helpful. And so what I, what I did is I came up with four statements to kind of cover everything that I want to say about rewards. And, and the first statement is this. Number one, everyone will face judgment. Just as we're kind of thinking about this concept, reward and judgment are, are intricately tied together. If there's a judgment, then there is a, a reward, an outcome from that judgment, whether good or bad. And Scripture is clear on this. Everyone will face judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There's a, an appointment with death that each one of us has, and after that, there is judgment. Judgment. We are, every one of us is going to die. Some of us might be alive when the Lord comes to meet His church in the air, but still, everyone will face judgment. And this judgment comes from the nature of God Himself. God is just. Deuteronomy 34, 32, verse 4, Moses calls Him the rock. And he goes on and he says, "...the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice." A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. God is just and upright. All His ways are justice. Psalm 9 and verse 7 and 8 says, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice. And He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord's throne, His kingship, His sovereignty is tied to His justice, and because God is the ruler of the world, He is the judge of the world, and He judges the world with righteousness. Then, because He is the King of the world, Abraham called God the just, the the judge of all the earth, Genesis eighteen twenty five, and because He is righteous and because He is just. His judgment will always accord with what is right. He will treat the wicked one way and he will treat the righteous in another way. Herman Bavinck said this and and kind of as he goes through this quote he gives long verses of scripture for each statement in this but just listen to what what Herman Bavinck said he says quote God by no means hold the guil- holds the guilty to be innocent. He does not spare the wicked. He does not, not regard persons or take bribes. His judgment is impartial. He is righteous and all his judgments are righteous. The punishment of the wicked is often ascribed to God's righteousness. End quote. In Scripture, God commands human judges to condemn the guilty and to justify the righteous. In Jeremiah 11, verse 20, Jeremiah calls Yahweh him who judges righteously and him who tests the heart and the mind. And all of this means that there will be a judgment. There, there must be a judgment because God is just and he is the judge of this world. It's God's very nature to judge the world. And God could as easily deny himself as he could deny judgment. Just listen to these scriptures, Psalm 62, 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And that you, O Lord, be- that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Proverbs twenty four eleven says the same thing. Uh, and verse 12, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? There's this idea in Scripture that runs really throughout the whole thing that God will repay and God will render to a man according to his work. Whatever we do, whether good or bad, it's going to come into judgment. Jeremiah 17 verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways. God will render to each person according to his or her work. God will judge The world. And to kind of close up on this thought, I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, Chapter Twelve. Ecclesiastes, Chapter Twelve. Really an amazing last few verses of this book it says the end of the matter all has been heard fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment every secret thing whether good or evil God will judge every deed he will judge every action every word even every thought of the intents of the heart Every secret thing, it says there. And God will judge rightly, but he will judge according to his holy standard and not according to man's judgment. God will judge sin as sin. That is, God will judge sin according to sin's nature. And what is sin? Sin is the violation of God's holy standard. It is rebellion against God. It's hostility towards him. Sin would destroy God if it could, and for this reason, sin is worthy of death. And not only this, but sin is against the goodness and the greatness of God. God in his perfect justice considers the majesty of the one sinned against. He considers his own majesty. Sin against an infinite God deserves an infinite penalty. Augustine, or Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to say that, Augustus, some say, said, said this, it's not so much, quote, the duration of the sinning that God considers, as, quote, the will of the sinner, which is such that it would always wish to sin if it could. And so when God considers sin, he considers that the, the will of the sinner is to continually sin. And so God's judgment on the unbeliever is eternal punishment in hell. And of course, for us who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus paid that penalty for us. Jesus suffered an infinite payment to secure our salvation. And so justice was done, but Jesus was condemned in our place. But notice again that Ecclesiastes says also that good deeds will be judged, whether good or evil. Good deeds will be judged, and we're to fear God and keep His commandments because every deed will be judged, good and bad. Now we typically think about the bad, but what about the good? What about the good things that we do? for the unbeliever we should we need to note that any supposed good that that we do didn't can't make up for a single sin right there's not a a cosmic scale that that sin is measured by and, and if if there's good or bad it one you know if the good outweighs the bad then then you're okay all sin is punishable all sin is sin and is worthy of death and so no amount of good deeds will make up for any one sin Scripture is clear that the only way that we can enter into God's presence is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that we can go to heaven is through Him. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we know on the one hand that, that only through the Lord Jesus Christ can we enter into heaven and into God's presence. But now as we think about the good, or as God's justice, or we could say God's government, God's government, in God's government, he not only punishes the bad, but he also rewards the good. And this is also part of God's justice. This reward can only be for the believer. Or in the words of Ecclesiastes, it's for the one who fears God. And these rewards for the good deeds that we do for fearing God and keeping His commandments, this, this judgment for that is ultimately going to happen after death. Ultimately, the rewards for obedience will ha- occur after death. Although at times, there are rewards for obedience in this life, right? Generally speaking, it goes good. Life goes well for those who obey God's commandments, those who live according to his pattern generally prosper. And, and those who follow his word and, and, and obey him as, as, as laid out in his word it often find that, that things happen well for them. And we could think of that as a kind of temporary reward. But the, the judgment of good that Solomon is referring to is a judgment that occurs after death. And the fact that God then is going to bring every deed into judgment is significant because if you think about it, it now makes everything that we do significant. Even the the least thing that we do, if God is going to bring it into judgment, if God is going to reward that thing and judge that thing, then everything becomes significant. And because our actions matter to God, then they matter. And so the fact that God is going to judge everything really makes everything, everything meaningful in this life. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. And that then leads to the next statement that I want to make about rewards. And that's number two, believers will be rewarded. So everyone is going to stand before the judgment, but especially now we want to think about believers and believers will be rewarded. When we begin to look at the the judgment of believers, we need to be careful how we handle the Scriptures. Because on the one hand, believers have passed from judgment. And I want you to turn with me then to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. John 5 and verse 24, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The one who believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life and he has passed from death to life and he does not come into judgment he or she will never be condemned romans 8 1 is very similarly says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus and so the judgment in mind in these verses is is judgment that leads to hell or judgment leading to condemnation and all believers have escaped that judgment through faith in the lord jesus christ Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, and we will never have to pay it. Our sins are entirely forgiven in Christ. They've been sent away. If God made Christ to be sin on our behalf, then we will never have to suffer for those sins. Payment has been made in full, and God's justice is satisfied on our behalf. But there's still another judgment for the believer. And it's a judgment, not one leading to condemnation and not even so much a a judgment for our sins, which have been forgiven, but instead it's a judgment of how we lived in the body, how we lived this life. And it will be a judgment leading to rewards and it will determine our treasure in heaven to use the words from Matthew 16 and or, or Matthew 6 and verse 20. And I want to show you this This judgment from a number of New Testament passages. And so let's go, and I want you to see these with your own eyes. Let's go to Romans chapter 14 to start it off. Romans 14, starting at verse, starting at verse 10. Romans 14, 10. Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now Paul is writing to believers here. And this is the same book in which he says in Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. But he says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, and each of us will give an account. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so he's writing to Christians, and he includes himself in this judgment. And the reason that we shouldn't judge one another is that God then is going to judge us. But notice especially that this is for each one or for every one of us is going to stand before this judgment seat of God. Now let's kind of go ahead then to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 4, 4. Paul says there, I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, this verse maybe isn't as clear, but, but still from these verses, we can see that Paul expects to be judged. And he says this judgment will happen when the Lord comes. And that, that that things will be revealed, hidden things, and even the purposes of the heart will then be revealed. Motives will be judged. And because of this, we're to leave the judgment to the Lord. Paul says, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Now again, let's go to another one. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Paul says there, whether we are at home or away, and by home or away, he means whether we're in the body or away from the body, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And the reason for this in verse 10 is for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So every one of us, all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ and each one is going to receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, this is one of the most frightening verses for the believer, I think, because Paul mentions the judgment, and it includes even evil done in the body by the believer. Evil done by a believer on earth will be judged. And this judgment seat is most likely referring to the same judgment as we saw in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 4. God has handed all judgment over to His Son. And, so, and because of that, it should be a great comfort to us to know that our savior will be our judge. The one who's going to judge us is our advocate and the one who died for our sins and who intercedes for us. But still that, that this judgment recognizes our evil deeds and our evil words and motives can be unsettling. But I want to talk about the good first and then we'll turn and talk about the bad. So while we talk about the good, I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, another section of verses on the the judgment of the believer so 1st Corinthians 3 3 1st Corinthians 3 3 Paul says for you are still of the flesh for for while there is jealousy and strife among you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The Corinthians are behaving in a human way in this arguing that they're having over, over who is the better preacher to follow. Now, next Paul kind of tells them how to think about Apollos and himself in verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The growth of the church, spiritually or numerically, it's attributable to God and not to the servants that God uses. Then in verse 8, he who plants, and, and again that was Paul, and he who waters, that's Apollos, they are They are one. And the idea there is that Paul and Apollos are united together in Christ, and they're unified. And then Paul says, "...and each will receive his wages according to his labor." The word wages there is the same word that means rewards. Continuing in verse 9, Paul says, "...for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building." Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has. If the work that anyone has, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul laid the foundation, and he imagines himself here as a as a builder. He's a, a builder building the church or else he's a, a farmer growing the church. And if he does well, he will be rewarded for his labor. But if someone builds poorly with wood or hay or straw, then those works will be burned up and there will be no reward for that. The judgment seat of Christ here is pictured as a, a fire and in that fire, the quality of each believer's work will be tested. There will be a test of what we did. And if our works pass the test, we will be rewarded. But if our works don't pass the test, we will suffer loss. Now, not the loss of salvation. It says there, though he himself will be saved. But the loss is a loss of reward, the loss of his works, the loss of labors in this life. But I'm supposed to be looking at the positive side here. Whatever, whatever good we do to build up the church, whatever good we do in one another's lives, that will be rewarded by God and by the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of this, Paul made it his aim to please the Lord in whatever he did. He made it his aim in this life to honor the Lord and do those things that are pleasing to him. Now, we've seen in Matthew that there is a reward for suffering for righteousness' sake and for being persecuted on Jesus' account and for giving and for praying and for fasting and really for whatever we do because of righteousness' sake. There's a reward for that. Whatever we do or whatever we suffer for Jesus' sake or because of our allegiance to Him will be rewarded and not just rewarded, but it will be richly rewarded Turn to Matthew 19, actually. I want to take you to a, a passage over here. Matthew 19, and we'll, we'll start looking at verse 21. This is the account of the rich ruler who came to the Lord and asked, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life and and Jesus, after kind of showing the idol of his heart that was, was the love of this world, in verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But the ruler went away sad because he was unwilling to leave this world's goods behind. But Peter, he heard this treasures in heaven and, and he wanted to know about his reward. And so in verse 27, um, uh, Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will be what, or so the New American Sanders, what, what will be for us? But the ESV says, what then will, will we have? What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then verse 29, And everyone, not just the twelve, but and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And so whatever is given up for Jesus' sake or for the sake of His name will receive a hundred times reward. The parallel passage in Mark 9 or 10.29 says that, that this leaving of earthly things is for Jesus' sake or, or for the sake of the gospel. And the ultimate reward is inheriting eternal life and living with the Lord forever in heaven. But the Lord will recognize on that day every sacrifice made every blessing forsaken, every hardship endured because of our commitment to Him. According to Matthew 10 and verse 41, even receiving a righteous person, in in other words, welcoming a righteous person into your home will be rewarded. And Matthew 10, 42 says, and whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And to not lose his reward is kind of a, a strong way to affirm that the there will be a reward for such a thing. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew chapter 25, the king rewards those who cared for his people and he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, Matthew 25 has a a different judgment and view, but the principle applies more broadly that whatever we do for God's people and for the Lord Jesus Christ and for His church, it will be rewarded in an inheritance in heaven. Now, I want you to turn to yet even another passage. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And you can start to see it because we're not even covering all of the verses. There's a lot of verses in the New Testament that speak about this reward for Jesus' disciples. But this is one of my favorite ones, Ephesians chapter six, verses really five to yeah, verses five to eight. Paul says there, bond servants, in other words, really, it's slaves. Slaves in those days, there were many slaves in those days, and, and so slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And so here's how Christian slaves were to serve their masters, and and they were to to serve as though they served Christ himself. And this is how we are to serve our masters, our our boss, in the same way, serving the Lord, not just merely men. But look at this amazing thing in verse 8. We're to do that, verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, This he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or is free. Whatever good we do for our employer, whatever good we do for our employer because we are serving Christ will be rewarded from the Lord. We will receive back the same from the Lord. Whether we are slaves or free, this applies. Paul says whatever we do, even, even down to our earthly work, done as to the Lord, whatever we do will be rewarded. That's really an amazing truth. Even the least thing that we do to serve the Lord will be rewarded. Now, what about the bad? What about the wood, hay, and straw? And again, we won't be punished for our sins. We won't be punished for our bad works or our unsound building, but our our, all of it will be, it's in scripture, it will be burned up. Our, our bad works, our unsound building, our, our useless labor will be burned up. And whatever treasure we don't lay up in heaven won't be laid up there. We can't lose our salvation if we're saved, but we can lose our reward. In fact, John, 2 John 8 says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And in the context, John is warning the church not to receive false teachers and, and not to support their work. Because whatever is not done according to God's will or whatever is not done according to God's word will be destroyed at the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm convinced that much busy work Many entire ministries will be shown to have been completely useless on that day. And there will be true believers who poured out their lives into ministries of wood, hay, and straw. And those works will be lost, though they themselves will be saved. John Bunyan said about that day, he said, The saints at this day shall have their hearts and souls so wrapped up in the pleasure of God their Savior, that it shall be their delight to see all those things, though once never so near and dear unto them, yet now to perish, if not according to his word and will. And what John Bunyan's trying to say there to us is that we're going to rejoice when we see those useless works burned up. We, even though now they're 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 never so near and dear to us. Even though now we we've poured our life into those things, yet on that day we will see that those things were empty, and we will be glad that the Lord has burned them up at the judgment seat of Christ. And another thing that John Bunyan says in that context is that at that time we will be there with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and so it'll be a sweet time. There'll be no hint of condemnation in that time there'll be only the love of Christ but still those fruitless works will be gone forever and we will rejoice to know on that day that the fruitless things that we done and the useless works that we did are now gone forever even those things that we devoted to ourselves to we will we will see them then as what they really are now scripture teaches that there'll be no sorrow in heaven and so we won't grieve there But we will know that justice has been done. We will know that the Lord has judged rightly and we will agree with His assessment, whatever it is. All believers will inherit eternal life. All will enter the joy of heaven, but not all will receive the same rewards. God's rewards will be gracious and they will accord with the riches of His grace. And so in that sense, I think everyone will receive some rewards But Paul seems to think that there will be some that will suffer loss. And that then leads kind of to the next statement that we want to make here about rewards. And that is number three, rewards will be diverse. Rewards will be diverse. Not everyone will have the same. Now that thought might be a little unsettling as well at first. There's a few things that we can say about this. First, if there are rewards based on what we do and suffer for Jesus' sake, it seems to follow that there, there must be some diversity. We don't all do the same. We don't all suffer the same. We don't all have the same opportunities. Now, Christ's judgment will be based on our opportunities, and it will take into account our gifting and our ability. We will not be expected to build in the same manner that the Apostle Paul built. We'll be judged according to our own opportunities and according to our own gifts. The parable of the talents and the the parable of the minas in Matthew 20 and Luke 19 talk about this, that that each one is given a certain amount to work with until the master returns. And the 10-mina guy wasn't expected to do the same as the 5-mina guy. Another thing to consider in all this is that there's a, a great deal of diversity even amongst us right now. I have pastor friends who are much smarter, much more talented, and have greater opportunity. And they also have greater responsibility in most cases. We all recognize that, that here we, we recognize and we appreciate those who God has especially gifted. Why not all the more appreciate the diversity in heaven? Some believers in heaven will be especially gifted with great opportunities to serve the Lord. And we'll be grateful for them and we'll be grateful for their gifts. And there'll be no jealousy in heaven, no envy, no coveting. Each one of us will be perfectly suited to their role there. And with great, with with those with great responsibility in heaven will be fitted with a, a great capacity to fulfill their assignment. And those with lesser capacities will be suited for their duties as well. We'll be perfectly thankful for those who are over us and, and, and And we will humbly serve any who might be under us in heaven, if we could kind of even think about it that way. But there'll be no sin in our hearts. We'll be completely content in our relationship with God and we'll enjoy forever every other blessing in that place. We'll enjoy the people and the angels and all the benefits of the new earth. But what exactly will we receive? What are our rewards in heaven, and i I, I kind of grouped them into what, five kind of general categories, five categories of reward, and one of the greatest rewards that is promised is the reward of god's commendation, the reward of God's commendation. God will acknowledge his people and the work that we did for him, and he will do it before all of creation or at least before the good angels and the saints matthew ten thirty two says So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Or 1 Corinthians 5, or 4 and verse 5, we already read this, it says, Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In John 12, 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. John Bunyan said, Quote, now will Christ proclaim before thee and all others what thou hast done, and what thou hast suffered, and what thou hast owned, and what thou hast withstood for his name. This is he that forsook his goods, his relations, his country, and life for me. This is the man that overcame the flatteries and the threats, allurements and enticing of a whole world for me." End quote. What will it mean on that day to hear the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And to see how great this commendation will be, I want you to just turn with me now to Luke chapter 12. Go to Luke 12 verse 35. This is really just a, a almost an unbelievable passage. Luke 12:35. Jesus says, "Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning." In other words, keep on working for him while he's gone. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. The Lord will not only thank us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, but he will serve us a lavish dinner at his eternal table. Another category of rewards are crowns. Crowns represent positions of authority and places of responsibility. And according to James chapter 1 and verse 12, there's a crown of life for resisting temptation. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 speaks of a crown of life for those who are faithful under persecution, even unto death. If you die faithfully for the Lord, you will receive the crown of life. 1 Corinthians nine twenty-four and twenty-five talks about an imperishable wreath as a prize for running well in the Christian life. First Thessalonians two nineteen and Philippians four one talk about other believers being a crown and a joy to us. When we serve others, their progress is like an eternal reward for us. Second Timothy four six to eight talks about a crown of righteousness for fighting the good fight of faith and keeping the faith. First Peter five one to four refers to an unfading crown of glory for serving well as an elder. And according to Revelation four ten, we will cast our crowns, and note the, the plural there, we will cast our crowns before the before God's throne. And so rewards in heaven will be for God's glory. God will be glorified in giving them and he will be glorified when we acknowledge that the only reason that we received those rewards was because of his grace. And so we see there's the commendation, there's there's crowns from God. There's a third area of reward and I I called this one glory. This glory includes enjoyment of God and all that we will be as God's children. Remember we saw in in 1 Corinthians 4:17 that there was a, an eternal weight of glory that would be revealed to us. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 says this about this. He says, But at, this, at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There's this, this brightness of glory that is promised to those who faithfully serve the Lord. I'll let Herman Bavink explain this one. He says, quote, God crowns his own work, not only in conferring eternal life on everyone who believes, but also in distributing different degrees of glory to those who, motivated by that faith, have produced good works. His purpose in doing this, however, is that on earth as in heaven, there would be profuse diversity in the believing community, and that in such diversity the glory of His attributes would be manifested. Indeed, as a result of this diversity, the life of fellowship with God and with angels, and the, of the blessed among themselves gains in depth and int- intimacy. In that fellowship, everyone has a place and task of one's own based on personality and character, just as this is the case in the believing community on earth. End quote. And so there's a, a differing degrees of glory for those who motivated by the faith that God gave them have produced good works. John Bunyan said it this way, quote, and why shall he that doth most for God in this world enjoy most of him in that which is to come? But because by doing and acting the heart and every faculty of the soul is enlarged and more capacitated, whereby more room is made for glory, every vessel of glory shall at that day be full of it, but every one will not be capable to contain a like measure." And so if they should have it communicated to them, would not be able to stand under it. For there is an eternal weight of glory that the saints shall then enjoy. Second Corinthians 4.17 And every vessel must at that day be filled. That is, have its heavenly load of glory. End quote. Matthew 13.43 says, The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father." And so there's this idea of glory being communicated to us, enjoyment of God. Every one of us will have a full enjoyment of God, and we won't begrudge anyone that has a a greater enjoyment of God. That's just going to be the way that God rewards us. A fourth area of reward is responsibility. Revelation 22, verse 3 says, His servants will worship Him. We will serve God day and night in heaven. Luke 16, 11 talks about being faithful in the little things that, and that leading to being entrusted with true heavenly riches. And many of the parables that speak about rewards speak of being given opportunities as reward, opportunities to serve God in greater ways. For example, Luke 19, and you're just almost there. You might as well just turn over there. Luke 19 and verse 16 says, <clears throat> the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten more minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. And so there's a, this, uh, this idea of reward being opportunities for service in heaven now will we literally rule over cities i think more and more that we actually will if you can believe that revelation 22 5 says that we will reign forever and ever we will reign with christ over the new earth and each of us will have a role to play in that reign and so we will probably have responsibilities of in ruling the new earth with christ And that will be part of our reward. Now, those reward and those labors and those responsibilities will be restful and they'll be, they'll be kind of relaxed labor. It'll be enjoyable labor. It will be great labor. But it seems like we will have opportunities to serve God as part of our worship in heaven. And the opportunities that we're given is tied to what we do now in this earth. And finally, we will very likely have some measure of literal treasures in heaven some measure of literal treasures last week we spoke about heaven that we would dwell on the new earth in resurrected bodies and that we would dwell with God and that heaven God's dwelling place would come down to the earth and we will then have heaven on earth and we will eat and we will drink with Christ and with one another in the kingdom of God we will eat from the tree of life the fruit of the tree of life and when we understand these things, we, we start to understand that we will probably live in literal mansions, literal houses, and we will wear literal clothes, and we will enjoy many of the things that we enjoy now in this world. We saw that the nations would bring their glory into the new Jerusalem, and that there would be production of goods and, and art and all kinds of such things, and we will enjoy them with God forever. And all of that makes me think more and more that our treasures in heaven might be more like what we think of as treasures on earth now. But the exception is that moth and rust won't destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. We'll never lose those treasures. In fact, Luke 12:33 and just let's just go back there and look at that again. <clears throat> Luke 12:33 Jesus says, "Sell your possessions, And give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and where no moth destroys. Note there that he says treasure that does not fail, treasure in the heavens. And the idea here is that it's an unceasing treasure. Like, it's kind of like, I I picture like Elijah and the widow's oil. It just never ran out. And so our treasures in heaven will, we will, we will use them, but they will never run out. They will never fade. They will never fail. And that leads then number four to rewards should be pursued. But there's also a warning with this, and that is to beware of an evil eye reward should be pursued now in most cases in in day-to-day life when we think about when, when someone offers a reward they want to give that reward right maybe you you offer your kids hey kids if you do x y and z we will we will give you this we will do this for you maybe we'll have some ice cream or whatever or maybe at work, there's like a, a production goal. If you cut down X many trees, you're going to get this bonus. Or, or maybe there's a, a sales goal. If you sell this many sets, then, then you, you get a free trip to whatever, you know, there's, but the, the, the person who's offering the reward wants to get the reward. It's, it's beneficial for them as well. And so what we want to think about here is that God is glad to reward our labor for him. And he wants to reward our work and our sacrifice and he tells us about rewards to motivate us to to faithful service and and to encourage us as we face the difficulties of this life he wants us to set our minds on heaven and and the place that he prepared for us he wants us to set our hope there and to look forward to his promises god offers rewards just simply because he's gracious he didn't need to offer rewards. You know, we, we ought to do what He commands us regardless of what He promises, but He, he does promise rewards. And what this means is that doing something with the, re- the reward in mind is not a sin. There, there's nothing wrong with thinking about the rewards that God offers. Our rewards in heaven, they will glorify God. We will cast our crowns before Him. And so the greater our rewards, the greater the glory we will give to God. And sometimes in, in, in our, in our sinful flesh and in our bodies and in this world, we need multiple motivations to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And God gives us multiple encouragements to live for him in this world. But one thing that we need to be careful of as we do this is what, what I called the evil eye. Now, we've already looked at a little bit at Matthew 19, but I want you to go back to Matthew 19 and 20. Matthew 19 and 20, right after Peter asked about treasures in heaven. Peter says in verse 27, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will be, or what then will we have? What then will we have? And Jesus again says, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life but then jesus says but many who are first will be last and the last first and he follows it up with the parable in in chapter 20 where everyone gets the same the same promised amount even though some worked harder and longer And I'd love to teach this parable, but we don't have time to fully cover it. But the parable is a warning against competition amongst each other. God's rewards will be grace-based. And we will all get eternal life. God will always give what He promised, but sometimes He will give even more than that. And some of the workers in verse 11, they grumbled... In verse eleven, Matthew 20, verse 11, they grumbled, and look at what the master said to those who grumbled. He replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Did you not agree to, to work the whole day for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And where it says there, do you begrudge my generosity? That's literally, is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? And it's a bit of a warning to any of us who think that we're doing more than others. It's a warning to beware of, of being like James and John who wanted to be the first among the disciples, but without paying the price or not even knowing what it cost. Jesus says in verse 16, the, the last will be first and the first last. And the idea here is that we believers, we are we are going to be last in this world. But we will be first in heaven. And if we want to be first, even amongst the disciples, if we want to be first, the way to do that is to be last and to be the servant of all. And so the idea is, don't get haughty. Don't think that you're better than somebody else. Don't, don't even, we don't even know what we will receive, but we just know that whatever we do receive from the Lord, it will be great and wonderful and a blessing. And if you do want to be the, the greatest of all, then you need to go even lower still and be the slave of all and serve your brothers and, and sisters in Christ. Again, Jesus said in verse 19, chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, we... We ask that you would help us to apply these truths to our lives. Help us, Father, to lay up treasures in heaven as you command us. Help us to look forward to that. Help us to give our all for you now in this world so that you will be glorified through us. Father, we look forward to receiving those crowns and casting them before you and just acknowledging that you alone are the one that has really done it all. And so we thank you for your grace in our lives, and we thank you that you have even prepared good works for us to walk in from before the foundation of the world. Father, help us to, to live for you and to obey this command from our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.